Okay, good morning, everybody. We're going to get started with our guest lecture. So Lauren Dula is a PhD candidate. She teaches the other section of nonprofit management and leadership, and she is a human resource management guru expert, both professionally and in her research, looking at dynamics within staff and volunteers. And so she is going to be our guest lecturer. And so I'll give it to... Hi, I'm not a guru. <laughs> I just know volunteers. So today we're going to talk about volunteers. So we're just going to start with a general look. Have you gone over org structures in here yet? Yes? No? So here's a basic organizational structure for general small town theater. So looking at this, where would you see volunteers? Where do you see volunteers within this chart? As well as you can see them. So where are the volunteers? Here? Lower down. Lower? So where? He's the house manager. Below everybody? Okay. Anywhere else? So one of the big things right here is you have an organization that probably uses volunteers, but they're not anywhere placed within their organizational structure, are they? They're not even considered in this organizational structure. And in a lot of these sections, you can actually say, all right, our staff, our box office staff, our ushers. Do you ever see volunteers work as ushers? Yeah. So right there, within that division, you have volunteers actually within that division, but they're not really acknowledged. You can have, you know, artistic directors. You can have play directors that come in and volunteer their time with this small town theater, but they're not looked at as a separate entity or viewed or managed as a separate entity. And a lot of times that's a big problem for nonprofit organizations when you don't actually look at your volunteers as part of your workforce. And we're gonna talk a little bit about that today. All right, so what is a volunteer? There are lots and lots of different types of volunteers, and it's not just the, oh, out of the goodness of my heart, I'm here. We've got formal volunteers. There are service learning volunteers. Has anyone had to do a service learning course on campus yet? Where you're required to go out and work with an organization? No? You're all lucky? Oh, one! Here we go. See? What type of organization did you have to go work with? I'm actually still doing it this semester. Habitat. Great, great. Good example. We have stipended volunteers, so people who will get some sort of small stipend for doing their work. Sometimes it will come in the form of like gas cards to get to the organization, things along that line. You see unemployed people coming in as volunteers, transitioning between jobs, trying to get experience. There's a wide variety of different types of volunteers. So not just one-off events, anything like that. And trends in volunteering. So at least 24% of the U.S. population in 2015 actually volunteered. That sounds like a lot, but when you actually come down to it, that means three out of four people are not volunteering. So what can we do to increase the base of our volunteer network when so many nonprofits rely so heavily on volunteers. It's also really interesting that it comes to about 7.9 billion hours volunteered annually by volunteers across these organizations, which would be equivalent to about 4 million paid full-time employees. And the average value of an hour of volunteer time is about $23 per hour in 2014. So that amount of money that would be generated otherwise, this is all for free. People are giving this up for free out of, you know, whatever their motivations are, this is what's happening. So many, many volunteers are out there putting in a lot of hours and primarily they're putting them into religious organizations educational organizations, and youth services organizations. So that's really where you see people donating the most time. So who volunteers? You're going to see a certain profile, which are people who come out and volunteer every day. They're generally married, white, between the ages of 35 to 55. You're seeing a bit more well-educated. Adults with children tend to volunteer more. A lot of times it's because they have children and their children are involved in organizations 
or activities that they need to then spend some time with. So you see retirees as well. That's when we get into that 55 age range. You're seeing people who are leaving their jobs and moving into more of a volunteer workforce. The people you don't see volunteering are <coughs> people in their early 20s. Why would you think people in their early 20s would be less likely to volunteer? Yes. I mean, like, this is kind of like mid-20s, but like, because they're starting their full-time job after college mm -hmm. and they kind of want to focus on that and keep themselves busy. Yeah, very much so. You'll see people just entering the workforce who are really focused on building their career versus going out and volunteering and spending extra time elsewhere. However, it often, in a lot of areas, helps build resumes. You'll see that some organizations, you'll see often even in like law professions that some firms will actually ask their people to do pro bono work. So as part of their building of their careers, it, 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 there's some organizations that will require that. But for the most part, people are worried about themselves a bit more in their early 20s and getting on their feet. You see the elderly. Once you get past when you're into this, your 70s, 80s, you're coming into a time when people are less healthy, less able to get around on their own, so they're not really out there volunteering as much. You have racial and ethnic minorities generally seem to volunteer less than white people in general, and unemployed people are also people who are less likely to volunteer. They're generally out there looking for jobs. And a lot of this comes from research that is done across lots of different organizations. So a lot of times um, there are some pieces that will look specifically at religious volunteering. And it's interesting within churches they do find a broad range of age groups, but this is more talking about like across all volunteering areas, not just religious affiliated. But it's a really good point. You do end up seeing a lot more people who stay active longer within their community because they can be. And a lot of times churches help those people be able to come out and volunteer more and be more active, right? So they might have people who come out and be able to drive them to church or to the activities, which you don't often see with organizations like Habitat for Humanity, where you need to have a certain level of physical ability when you're really on your own showing up. When we look at some overarching trends, one of the first is that we're seeing more and more public sector volunteering. What this means is that people are volunteering for government agencies. So in governmental capacities, why? Does anyone have an idea of why we would be seeing more of this? I think that like politics are more accessible now, so people just, like the average young person now knows so much more about like their senator or about like, their presidential candidates, so they're more likely to feel like they campaign like, online or help them. Okay, so you're saying more from the political standpoint that it's a little bit more accessible to kind of get involved in the government area in that sense. What about just helping out? A lot of times you're seeing public agencies that are responsible for taking care of your local cemeteries. They might be the people who go in and mow the lawns and take care of the cemeteries. What we're seeing are budget cuts, local budget cuts are making it really difficult for local governments to put in the same effort and time into providing some services that are viewed as non-essential. <coughs> so it is turning over to volunteers in a lot of cases to kind of make up the difference between what they might at one point have been able to provide and what they now are able to provide given budget cuts. So especially with the Great Recession, a lot of lower tax rates, we're seeing taxes being cut for us, but that means that there's less revenue to pay for these services. <coughs> Examples I often use are the cemeteries because you'll see small groups coming together to go in and take care of certain plots, veterans groups going in and taking care of cemeteries and the plots of veterans who have, you know, are buried there. You'll see groups come together and do the mowing and clearing. So you're seeing a bit more of small groups of people like volunteers, maybe not even well organized, but volunteers coming in and trying to help out where it is necessary, where they're seeing budget cuts taking over. 
Um, another area of growth with volunteering are workplace volunteers. So this means that, say you work at Cook Pharmaceuticals here in town, everybody is going to go for a day to work at Habitat. You're gonna go build a building with your coworkers. There are a lot of reasons why people do this. What are some of the benefits of workplace volunteering? Yes. It boosts morale. Yeah, totally boosts morale, your team building. So you're getting to know your coworkers in a, in a different environment. So outside of just sitting in the office, you're actually going out there with them. A really major reason for a lot of organizations to kind of emphasize this is that it looks really good for them to be going out into the community and it works as good PR, right? We care about our community. We care about what's going on here. We want to show that we are not just, uh, you know, an employer worrying about our own profit lines. We also care about the community. So it works in a lot of different ways. It helps build leadership skills amongst their staff. I like that it allows creation of a legacy. So you will see some organizations that tend to keep working with the same nonprofits over and over again, almost as sponsorships. So, you know, with Habitat is a perfect example, and I keep going back to it because a lot of corporate entities use Habitat, things like it, to keep going back to every year, every year, and they become almost partners. So it looks good for them and for the organization. And third, we're seeing a lot more of youth volunteering. This is really key. How many of you in high school were required to do some form of public service? <laughs> to graduate, yeah, me too. They're doing this as a way to help build civic understanding, to help you get out into the community, do some public service, do something beyond yourself. In another sense, they're finding that the earlier you start volunteering, the younger you are when you start volunteering, the more likely you are to volunteer later in life. So it is almost hopefully a feeder effect that as you get older, you will remain in that volunteer workforce in some capacity or be more willing to do so. So now let's talk about managing these volunteers. We've talked about some themes, some trends, some of the numbers. Now, when you have volunteers, you're all working on projects, right? Where you're creating your own nonprofit. You're going to be talking about HR. So when you're talking about HR with a nonprofit, I guarantee that most of your new nonprofits are going to need volunteers. So where do we start? So one of our assumptions is that for volunteers, doing good is good enough. We'll say, yes, they are doing it out of the goodness of their heart, but to a certain degree, volunteers also want to know that what they're contributing is going to be acknowledged. So there is something, a sort of exchange that is necessary when you're managing your volunteers. Another assumption is that volunteers can't be managed. And this is really, one that is not true. They can to be managed to some extent, but you have to understand the differences between working with a volunteer versus working with paid staff. Are paid staff more dependable than volunteer employees? What do you think? Sometimes? Pam? I would say yes, just because they're getting a compensation, monetary compensation for it, but it might depend on this part of their Sure, okay. For their yeah. Yeah, Thomas. I don't know about dependable, but I think it's consistent. Okay. But just them showing up and being there with the organization for a longer amount of time. Yeah. Is, so, but like as far as the task, I think they, they're still really dependable. Yeah. Bryson? So I think it depends on their values and how much the organization means to them. And I feel like that has a, a large effect on how dependable they are in the organization. Interesting. Good point. Good point. So really the mission, how mission-driven are they? Shelby? Yeah, I was just going to say that like, they might be more dependable as you know, they show up every time, but like their motivation might decline because like they might have the mindset of like, oh, I'm going to get paid regardless of... So employees are like, I'm going to be here no matter what, and right. they're going to pay me as long as I show up. Yeah. So, okay, interesting. So motivation levels might be really different. Interesting. Okay. So they can be equally dependable. They can be. But it takes a lot of effort on your organization's part 
to make sure that that is happening. So you really have to think about how well you're recruiting these people, how well trained they are, what their motivations are. Are they mission motivated? Are there other motivations that are driving them? Say, I have a college volunteers coming in. We're using a great big pool of college volunteers. They might be motivated by the mission, but they may also be motivated by the fact that I am going to get this to look really good on my resume and gives me experience and skills that are going to help me find a job. So understanding that there are a multitude of motivations is really important. Understanding that they are motivated by different things and that you have to, in some way, account for them. All right, how is volunteer motivation different than staff motivation? In some cases, it's not entirely, but we're gonna talk a little bit about these motivations. So why do people volunteer? A lot of people volunteer, there's intrinsic motivators and extrinsic <coughs> motivators. Instrumental and altruistic. What, what do we mean by instrumental? What would be an instrumental motivator? What would you think when we think of like an instrument? I think of like hands-on maybe. Hands-on, so something tangible. So, so, so it's like a tool, something that is more tangible than altruistic would be what? Warm, fuzzy feelings. Like I'm doing this out of the goodness of my heart, right? So that is basically it. <laughs> we have our instrumental motivations are often really overlooked in volunteer management. We expect that our volunteers are showing up because they just really passionate about our causes, but we're also not really looking at the secondary motivators, like these instrumental motivators, these tangible motivators that might help them stay volunteering with you and remain with you and be more dependable and show up more often. So there's human capital needs, needs like building new skills, acquiring contacts, that sort of thing, ceremonial needs. So being able to be part of this public action, working with other people, there are different needs that are being satisfied by some of these instrumental values. With this, you could see extrinsic and intrinsic. So again, these extrinsic instrumental outside of oneself, these motivators are often overlooked. So we're gonna talk a bit more about these motivators as, as a given, most people are driven by the mission, right? You're not showing up at an organization just because. There's something about that organization that triggers some sort of passion within you. But what we want to see is what else can we do to keep them coming? And very little volunteerism is done solely out of altruistic reasons. Even here, this is volunteers working at Ground Zero after 9-11. <coughs> People were there to help. People were there out of the goodness of their heart. But you will still interview some of these volunteers and they'll say, it gave me a sense of control over something that I felt was out of my control. In the time that I felt that everything was falling apart, it gave me a sense of being able to control something. So there's another level to doing some of this work that might be beyond just out of the goodness of like pure altruism, right? This is a fun example. It's always usually a mix. So you have this altruistic and then your kind of instrumental reasons. This was a survey about 140 kids who signed up to work at a soup kitchen. And out of the 140, most of them said, it makes you feel really good. So it makes us feel good. 125 of them said it makes them feel good. But, you know, another 48 said, it'll get you a day off of school. And those are roughly the same people. 71 said, the people really need our help. But then all of your friends are going. So you are seeing a real mix. These are the same kids that are responding to some of these. They're choosing more than one. And like I said, most of the time we're volunteering for more than one reason. This is the Clary Snyder Volunteer Functions Inventory. So this was broken down into the six categories of volunteerism, that of motivators that you might see motivating people to show up. We've got values. So values, understanding, some social motivators, career motivators, protection, and enhancement. 
Sana is really interesting. We have values as clearly. It's important to help others. This is really coming down to your altruistic beliefs. When you have understanding, you're learning more about the cause. You're learning more about what's happening. Career, kind of self-explanatory, social. You want to meet like-minded people, be around people that share your values, maybe build friendships, expand your networks. Protection is an interesting one. They express it as reducing guilt over being more well-off than other people. Or you can also look at protection as trying to get out of situations that you might be in that you're willing to get out of. So say you are at home and your home life isn't that great. You might want to go someplace on a regular basis that where it makes you feel good to be and makes you feel productive to be rather than being at home. It might help address those personal problems that you're dealing with. And another angle, it might be something that you've experienced personally. People often work at organizations like Middleway House. Do you know Middleway House? Nods good. So a lot of times you'll see people who have used the services of certain organizations come back and try to help at those organizations because they understand what it was like to be there. So you'll see that kind of protective <coughs> element. So these are pretty interesting. What I want you to do right now, really quickly, is think of a place that you volunteered and then I want you to look at the list, we'll bring it back to the list of volunteer functions. And I want you to think about which of these functions, and it could be um, many of the different functions, it doesn't have to be just one, were you realizing when you were volunteering with that organization? And in essence, why? So why was it a career function that you were, like, what were you getting out of it? So when I say why, think of like these distinguishing elements of the function. So what part of social are you, are you using? So I'll give you about five minutes and just think of one place or two. I've had, I've had different amounts, depends on how many places you volunteer. And think about which of these work for you. And then we're gonna talk about them quickly. So go wild. Who has one? Yeah, what was your name? Oh, so Melissa, tell us about your organization. Well, I used to volunteer at Shelburne Means up close to Indianapolis, which is a um, home for battered women and children. Okay. And um, I initially started going with my mom because her first marriage wasn't the best marriage, so it was kind of that sort of protection type aspect and also in a way kind of social because I was going because my mom was going as well and it also made me like feel really good to be able to make these people like feel comfortable and valued and whatnot. Yeah, great. So you really had three reasons like, that were all tied up into one activity, right? No, that's good. Thank you. Who else? Anyone else volunteer? Yeah, Bryson. I have volunteered mainly at my church at a food pantry, other various like volunteer services throughout the community. I just kind of feel like throughout each volunteer that I that I participated in, I felt like I was just more social. Like I, I love to talk for some reason. <laughs> And I've met a lot of people, and I think that's part of the reason why I enjoy myself so much. And it kind of incentivized me to go and do it more often because I just kind of network, reach out to different people, and get to listen to their experiences. And yeah, very good. So a lot of these are great, especially in values and understanding and social. I think a lot of people disregard the social element that comes with volunteering. So my background, especially with volunteering, is I worked on the Obama campaign as a staffer in 2007 and 2008. And so I started as a field organizer, which was basically gathering as many volunteers as possible, building a volunteer base, organizing volunteers, and then I moved up and was directing certain regions, so congressional districts, major counties, depending on where we were, and working with the organizers who were then in turn working with all of the volunteers. And the social element really plugs people in. It, it makes people come back. So you might go someplace that is hard to deal with. Like you're seeing like an Anastasia's case some people who've really gone through some trauma, but having other people there that you're working with and you're having a team of people who are all there to do some good together might really help you build some new relationships 
which in turn makes you want to come back because you know you're going to see those people again. You know that you're going to work with those people again. And you know that they share some of the same values. So social and being able to create a social atmosphere at your organizations is a really, really key piece of volunteer management. So good. I like hearing about where everybody's been working. So when you look at some of these pictures, what types of intrinsic motivation do you see here? So coming from within. What about the lady with the cats? The lady with the cats, yeah. She definitely loves playing with cat. Looks like she just really likes cats, right? So she's getting something out of it. It makes her happy to be around animals. How about guy with the cello? Or I think it's a cello, because yeah, he's sitting. I mean, he might just really like music, right? It's something that he's passionate about. This is himself. He's working for something. It's a volunteer event. You know, he's with an orchestra, but he's getting something very personal out of this experience. Now, this is different. So what intrinsic benefits do you see out of this list from this ad for volunteers? It looks like it like touches based on all of the different ones because you have like the social like the list that they have, so like meeting new friends and you're gaining the job skills, which is yeah, career. So I feel like, it, like it's touching like, a little bit of every single one of the categories. Yeah, yeah. This really goes over a lot of different things that are more extrinsic rewards. So it's not just values and personal base. Like feeling useful is probably the closest to just an intrinsic, solely intrinsic motivator. But then we have career, external, making new friends, social. We have getting out of the house, you know, that could be something like a protective element of like, I'm usually alone, I want to build a network. So it's an ad for volunteering that is not just calling upon come and do good and feel good about it. It's saying you're going to get more out of this than just, you know, warm and fuzzies. So what extrinsic benefits do you see here? These are some good ones. Yeah, Miss Adrian. Well, since I value chocolate, I see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's food. Someone is being rewarded with food. That's like one of the best rewards you could give a volunteer. If you have a volunteer, you have an organization, you have volunteers coming in, being able to provide them with pizza or something, that helps. That makes people want to come back. That makes them happy. You've got an award here. So someone is actually being awarded something for they're spending their time doing what they're doing and this one's even more impressive it's donate a day get a day at disney so you're, you're getting something very external very extrinsic in exchange for donating and something like this might be established as a way to just get people in the door that first time because once someone volunteers once they start building a social network. They start seeing that, hey, I actually really like this. This was kind of fun. I might do it again, even if you don't send me to Disney World the next time I want to go. So you're trying to expand a volunteer base. <laughs> so you might really want to consider how <coughs> the type of volunteers you're using and how you might manage them differently. Your board are all volunteers. So you're going to track them and you're going to think about motivating them a lot differently than you would say workplace volunteers who are there as a one-off experience for the day with their company. You're going to want to see what you can do that is different. Your board is a very long-term commitment versus a workplace volunteer, which is one day. Your college volunteers might be temporary. They might be there for a semester. They might be there for a year, but then leave. So what are you going to be able to do, and how do you want to track them differently than you would, say, your board, which, which is there for hopefully a few years at a time? So when we come down to it, there are some key steps in volunteer management. We're going to go over them pretty quickly. So... Some of the key elements of going through your volunteer management is taking your volunteer recruitment and retention as seriously as possible. Where to start? Volunteer coordinators, recruiting wisely, training them, setting expectations, and even considering volunteer contracts, which I'll show you an example of. You want to really keep track with them and follow up. 
And also acknowledge, acknowledge, acknowledge. So we'll start with a volunteer coordinator. So this is some staff from 2008 at this point on the campaign trail. And this is Susie. Susie was who we hired to be our volunteer coordinator at this time. And Susie's job was to manage hundreds upon hundreds of volunteers. Her job required calling volunteers, setting up times for them to come in, getting them in the door, training them, getting them back out the door to do their jobs, bringing them back in and basically debriefing with them, seeing how it went. In some cases, finding them places to sleep, getting them food. There's a wide variety of things that Susie had to do. And this is like with maybe a little of an extreme example versus say working at, you know, Wonder Lab as a volunteer coordinator. But what I really want to get across is as a volunteer coordinator and having a volunteer coordinator is so key because they are exclusively there to make sure your volunteers feel like you are an organized entity, that you know what you're doing and that you have a place for them. You really want this person to be able to make the hard asks. So that means calling up a volunteer or a potential volunteer and saying, all right, Jane, I have you down that you would like to volunteer with us. That's great, we would love to have you. Can you come in on Sunday? from 1 to 6 p.m. and we'll set you up and get you trained. Well, Jane's probably going to say, I really can't come for five hours on Sunday. I might have something to do. But it gives you a place to start negotiating with your volunteers and start to see what type of time they can give you. So you want to ask for as much as possible up front and then work your way down. Also, you want to be able to reach out more than once. So what this means is you have a list of people who might have said they want to volunteer. The first time you call them or contact them, they might not be interested. They might be busy. You don't want to just cross that person off your list. You don't want to just say, nope, they said they don't want to volunteer right now, so we should just forget about them. You want to be able to keep them in your system in some way so that you can go back to them, say, in a month or two months and say, hey, we contacted you before. Are you still interested in helping with us? We would love to have you. So maintaining a pool of volunteers at all times and being willing to ask them to spend a lot of time with your organization is something that might make some people feel uncomfortable. You want your volunteer coordinator to be someone who's willing to just make those asks and keep track and keep tabs on people as much as possible. Susie, for example, was able to bring in enough people and train them and send them back out the door that on one day, this was one day during Get Out the Vote, we managed to have our volunteers knock on 115,000 doors across one county. That's a lot of houses, not a lot of volunteers. So we had hundreds of volunteers out in one day. And Susie, your volunteer coordinator, could be this person that can make these sort of things happen. So really, any organization, if you could put some money into it, even if it's a part-time gig, get someone to manage your volunteers for you. So recruitment. There are three kinds of recruitment strategies. The first we would look at is warm bodies. What do you think warm bodies means? Warm body recruitment. Anybody. You are a warm body. You are alive. You are not a zombie. You are going to be able to have hands and feet and hopefully do the task that we need you to do. That is all you're looking for. So there's a really broad range of things you might be able to do with just recruiting anybody. Now, next is concentric circles. When we talk about with concentric circles, you're going to start with your core group. Your core group might be your board members, might be the founders of your organization, might be just one or two people who you have interested in your organization to begin with. So this is really where your organizations and your projects are starting, right? You don't really have anybody yet. You just have boards. So from your boards, you want to go and reach out to their social networks. 
So you want to then move out and say, how many of the people that you know would be willing to come in and spend some time volunteering for our organization? From there, you get some more volunteers. You say, okay, you're volunteers. Do you know anyone else who might want to come in and volunteer with our organization? One of the most effective ways of getting people to come volunteer is being asked by someone else who is already volunteering with them. So making that ask from someone that they already know is really increases the likelihood of getting them in the door. So really it just becomes a process of continuously spreading out from your core group and bringing in more people. So this is a really great method, especially if you want to keep building on the social element of, you know, relying on that element. And you're generally going to get people who have a lot of the same values because they're all friends with one another. There's, they're building out of a social network. So you're more likely to find people who will be in touch with your mission. Then we have really targeted uh, recruitment. This might be necessary for things like lawyers. You need someone to look over some of your legal documents, but you don't have money for it. You're going to be looking for very specific skill sets and very specific people. This is also what you might be using for your board members. You've talked about board recruitment. Exactly. So when you're looking for your board members, a lot of times you're reaching out to people who have certain connections in your community, you're looking for people who have certain positions within your community, that's targeted recruitment. You're really putting in a lot of time and effort to find just the particular right people. So when you're thinking about your volunteer recruitment plans, think about the tasks that you need them to fulfill, and then from there you can actually decide what might be the best method. So warm bodies, you might be able to put an ad in the newspaper, put some information up on social media, say, we're having a benefit concert, we just need people to act as ushers. That's warm bodies. You can get a whole variety of people by just offering them maybe free admission to the concert. If you're looking for more steady volunteers, for something like a middleway house, people that you want to keep coming back and be part of the organization, you might really want to look at something more along the lines of concentric circles. So think about what you need from them and then decide how you might go about recruiting. So if you're recruiting a volunteer, we're talking about setting expectations now. What would you want them to know about your new nonprofit organization. What elements of your organization would you want them to understand before they started volunteering with you? Who has a good organization they want to share? Yeah. So are you asking what you want them to know? Yeah, what would you want your volunteer to know? What would you want your potential volunteer to know? What they would be doing. Yeah, so a role, what their role is going to be. Yes. Eric? You'd want them to understand like your mission, vision, and values. Yes. So they would know like what kind of work they're doing and like why they're doing it. Definitely. Definitely. What else? Bryson? Oh, what kind of sanctions you might offer? I mean, just if they did something good, like they would want to know the rewards. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So is there a means of promotion? Do they have like, what types of benefits are they getting? Are they getting free tickets to events if they're ushering at an event? That sort of thing. That's definitely an expectation you can set with them. What else? What about time commitment? You probably want to let your person know how much time you're expecting them to be spending with your organization and how frequently. So that's these are just some of the things that you would want to be setting expectations for your organization for the volunteer. Now, what do you want to know about the volunteer before you're signing them on? What types of things would you want to know before you're saying, yes, we definitely need you, can you come in? Yeah, was it probably like their skill set? So what skills did they offer to your organization? Yeah, yeah, definitely. What else? Yeah. Um, the time availability. Yeah, also key. Yes. Whether or not they rely on transportation. Very good. That's a great, great point. So you might have someone who really wants to volunteer, but then you sign them up and they can never get there. 
So you're waiting and waiting and waiting, and they just can't get there. Maybe that's something that you, your organization can help with, but you would want to know that up front, right? Other things, anything else? So really what this is coming down to is that when you're starting your volunteer recruitment, you want to set some expectations with these people who say, I'm willing to volunteer with you. A good volunteer coordinator will ask a lot of these questions and explain a lot of this information to a potential volunteer up front. They may also, an, an idea for some of your organizations could be that you create some sort of application to be a volunteer, just as you would do for a job. What skill sets do you have? What do you think you want to bring to the table? Here is a list of different jobs that we have at our organization. Check off the ones that interest you the most. So that really helps your volunteer coordinator and your organization be able to place people properly and see if they are a good fit for your organization to begin with. Another way you can set expectations is making a volunteer contract. It's a little hard to see, so I will read parts of it because it's really sad. So this volunteer agreement is basically just a template that you can use, but here at the very top, it basically is saying that we value our volunteers and we want to assure you that we appreciate your contribution. We're dedicated to ensuring that you have a quality volunteer experience, which is both productive and rewarding. And it goes on to say that we agree to accept the volunteering services of this person for these times on these dates. So you're setting right away that time frame for that volunteer, what type of time commitment they're able to give up. Then it goes into telling this volunteer in this section what they can expect from the organization. And some of the examples here are that the organization agrees to provide adequate information and training. So you may meet the expectations as described by your job, your volunteer job description. That we're going to treat you with respect and courtesy at all times. That we're going to allow for a six week trial period. So just like with a job, a real paid job, we're saying we might have to let you go if you do not fulfill the requirements that we're looking for. You can and may have to fire a volunteer. This happens. I could tell you some stories about having to fire volunteers. One example is a gentleman who would come into our office and refuse to do any of the actual tasks that we needed him to accomplish but he really wanted to sell these little homemade buttons that he made to the people who were there volunteering. And he made them and he really wanted to sell them because he wanted to get the word out about Barack Obama. And we had to say, this is actually illegal. You can't come in here and sell these. You know, we need to talk. So just like with an employee, the first step with working with a volunteer that is difficult or might be posing some problems is you need to have a discussion with them. You need to kind of take them aside, say, it's great that you're here. We love that you want to participate with our organization, but we have some concerns and lay it out for them. Give them the chance to change or to alter their behavior in a way that might actually end up being more productive for your organization. With this gentleman, Tim, who I would call Buttons because it drove me crazy, but that's all I wanted to do. So Buttons and I had to go outside one day and have a talk about how he's no longer welcome at our offices because he was not contributing in any way that, that was helpful to the organization and some of the activities he was actually participating in were counter to what we were trying to do or counter to the mission and also illegal. So we had to part ways. And at the time, it was a terribly awkward conversation. It was awful. But oddly enough, six years later, he wrote me an apology email. 
and said, I was really sorry that it ended up that way. I, I didn't mean to do it, and I understand why, why you did that. And I'm really sorry. It took him six years. But I finally got an email back from Button, so I, I feel better now. I feel like I didn't hurt his feelings. But there are some times that you're going to have volunteers who might just not work out. And having a contract like this is really helpful. The volunteer element you have at the bottom is that the volunteer is committing to the following to fulfill my role as outlined in the volunteer role description. So making sure you have role descriptions for these people is very, very important. That's way back in setting expectations, way back when you're recruiting them. You want to make sure they know what they're there doing. And then you want them to be able to sign off on this. So this is not like a legally binding contract. This is just setting expectations really clearly up front of what you want from each other, what you expect from each other, and that if things don't work out, they don't work out, that there's a way for you to kindly step away from that relationship. Yeah, question. I'm just uh, playing like devil's advocate here. Sure. It just kind of seems like when they play, when they offer a contract to a volunteer, isn't that kind of pushing it a little bit? Like kind of making them seem like they're obligated to do yes. the task at hand. And it's just like, I mean, they're kind of being seen as more of an employee or a staff member yes. more than a volunteer. So you're just like... <laughs> yeah. Basically, I mean, if that turns them off, then that is something that you're going to have to talk with them about. And you can easily explain, like, we take our volunteers just as seriously as we take our staff. And we want to make sure that you are equally as happy in this relationship as we can be. And that this is a mutually beneficial experience. So one of the things that is might seem a little intimidating about something like this on, on one side, on the other side is you want your volunteers to be dependable. And if you are saying, well, I don't know, I'm a volunteer, I want to come in, but this is like a lot, and I don't know if I can actually agree to doing all this stuff, they might not be the type of volunteer that you need at that time. You might need someone who is more dependable. And so you could clearly tone something like this down, but you want to be able to set expectations with these volunteers that we expect you to show up if you say you're going to show up and vice, vice versa. We want to be able to provide you the training you need. We want to provide you with anything you need and you need to come to us if there are problems or questions. So yeah, it totally turns some people off, <laughs> but at the same time, it, it comes down to what types of roles you want them to play. So you might not want something like this, for one-off, like, workplace volunteer day, right? Like, you might not want something like this for just, okay, you're coming to do one special event. But if you want them to keep coming back, this might be something that's a little more helpful. So setting those standards pretty high is really a good idea. So we're going to zip through the last bits. Keeping track and following up. This is another place where your volunteer coordinator is really key. Some really fun ways of doing this is something like this, where you make it very public. You actually put it out on the walls of your organization, your sign-up dates. So each one of these was a day. Each sheet was a day and had certain times on it. So people could actually walk up and say, oh, Paul's volunteering on Tuesday. I really like Paul. I want to sign up and work with Paul that day. Oh, like, Bill's working this day. I want to work that day. He's crazy. He's really fun. So it makes it also more social. You, you're actually letting people choose their times and dates. You're also holding them accountable because it's very public. So anybody can come and see. This person said that they're going to be here this day, and they're not here. There's some social pressure to actually show up. You want to keep track of the days people do show up and maybe the tasks that they do. There are software packages that are available to actually keep track of volunteers. We won't go into tons of detail on those, but just like you would with fundraising software, you might want to consider volunteer tracking software to say, what days they're supposed to be there, whether or not they showed up or not, how to contact them when you need to. And finally, 
one of the biggest things to do is say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because you can't thank your volunteers enough. They are doing it for free. There is no monetary compensation. They don't need to come back. You can have them sign all of the volunteer contracts in the world. Doesn't mean they actually have to come back. So these are some of my photos from different events. Everybody's standing here behind Caroline Kennedy and Barack Obama were what we considered super volunteers, who were precinct captains, who volunteered tons of hours, maybe like 10 hours a week to the campaign. They ran certain events, they did fundraising for us, they knocked on doors, they made phone calls. They're the first people that we would call and say, something's happening that's really big. Do you want to be backdrop on CNN to Barack Obama? Most of them would say yes. That's a cool thing to do, right? If you have a way to reward someone for their activities, do it. Do it in any way possible. Have social events. Have ways to build community. This was an event we did. I don't even remember what we called it, but let's just say no one was there. It was just a bunch of bands. We had some local politicians talk. We had organizations donate food. And it was just a big party for volunteers and people who brought friends to hopefully volunteer. We told people where they could vote. This was it. And we got so many people involved that night just from saying thank you. We're throwing you a big party. We're showing you our appreciation. So you can't say thank you enough. And there are clearly much more simple ways to do this. You can give them a certificate. You can bring them up on stage if you have a benefit, like event or a fundraising event. You can put a little picture and add in the newspaper saying, you know, we're giving a certificate of thanks for volunteerism to Sally Jones because she's done such an excellent job. But volunteers of the month are always really nice for organizations to put a picture on the wall or send it out in your newsletter. So saying thank you, you can't do it. So how about quick summary? Plan for volunteer recruitment and management. Plan ahead. Be strategic about how you're recruiting and training your people. Budget for volunteers. They're not free. There is a lot of time involved in maintaining your volunteer pool and recruitment and thanking them. So you might be buying them food. There's still a financial cost to this. You definitely want to keep good records, keep track of everything. Something we didn't fully talk about was making sure you plan maybe a promotion path for volunteers. One of the students in my class, he was like, I worked at an organization and I just started out bagging food and taking it out to people's cars. It was like a it was like a food kitchen, but you can come work as a grocery store. So my whole job was to bag things and take it to cars. Well, there were other things he could then move up to, like social media or something. You know, there was a promotional path where he wasn't just expected forever to just bag food and move it to cars. There was something more he could look forward to. And then... Offer your employees and your board some training and orientation about how to work with your volunteers. So make sure that they understand the importance of volunteers for your organization as maybe the ED of your organization and make sure that they, they don't take them for granted. And finally, don't assume that they're there solely out of the goodness of their heart. Try to understand the motivations of your volunteer pool. Don't forget to thank them. Thank them as many times as possible. Don't ignore <coughs> volunteer and staff tensions. If there's problems that are arising, try to get involved as quickly as possible and in your management position. Sit people down, talk to them. And then don't, don't, don't use volunteers to replace your paid staff. In, in that, you will end up really losing some morale of your own organization. So you want to be really careful. Thank you for participating. That was really good.